everyone, and welcome to another installment of the of the Bama Factor with Alex Taylor and Cody Saxon. I am your host, Alex Taylor. Got my co-host with me here yet again, Cody Saxon. Cody, how you doing? What's up, buddy? Uh, pretty good, man. I'm excited about getting into these stats from this past week and uh, talking about some you know midseason stuff, and really looking forward to the rest of the season. But yeah, let's get into it, man. Yeah, always looking forward to. So obviously, the Crimson Tide got the win over State this past Saturday, thirty to six. Good showing, uh, improving to seven and one. Uh, on the season, uh, state falling to five and three. They also have the week off this week as they get ready to prepare for Auburn next Saturday. So now, just getting into some uh, player stats for the Crimson Tide. Uh, Bryce Young uh, coming off a, a pretty good game at Tennessee uh, after throwing for 455 yards. You know, follows it up. You know, significantly less yards this time, but 21 of 35 for 249. And two touchdowns, uh, a very important note, no interceptions, uh, always taking care of the ball. Uh, the Alabama running game couldn't really find its footing uh, on Saturday night. Uh, but in this game, they didn't really have to. Uh, but Jameer Gibbs still leading the way with 10 carries, 37 yards, uh, and a touchdown. Jay's following that up six for nine yards. Rodell Williams, six for seven. Uh, but they only were able to net 29 total rushing yards. So, like I said, kind of struggle for the tie that's honestly been uh, averaging over 263 a game this year. Uh, a little bit of a struggle game for him. In the receiving core, uh, Ja'Cory Brooks, three catches, 74 yards. Jermaine Burton with two for 40. JoJo Earl, three for 38 with the lone touchdown coming on a very impressive throw and scramble by Bryce Young. Trayshawn Holding having the other touchdown, and he hauled in two catches for 23 as well. Switching to the other side of the ball, Henry Toa Toa leading the way with tackles for with 13, seven solo, one tackle for a loss. Helms following closely to Toa Toa with 12 tackles, seven solo, and one sack and one tackle for a loss. And um, Will Anderson also uh, getting going as well, four tackles, two solo, one sacks, one and a half tackles for a loss. Brian Branch having a good showing with four total tackles, three solo, one sacks, one and a half tackles for a loss, two passes defended. And a guy who we're really going to talk about in this podcast who really kind of sparked the whole team, Eli Ricks, two tackles, one solo, but four passes defended. Um, and just obviously he kind of made the, the uh, whole team go uh, in his first ever start for the Crimson Tide. And we look to see more of him in the coming weeks. So those are your individual player stats uh, for the Crimson Tide. Now I'm going to turn it over to my colleague for Mississippi State's stats, Cody. Yeah, buddy. Um, so quick, quick team comparison, just some of the stats you listed off. Um, yeah, Alabama with uh, 21 first downs compared to Mississippi State's 20. Not a big difference there, I will admit. The third down uh, efficiency for Alabama was a good bit better. Is 8 out of 17. Still not great numbers, but uh, 7 out of 22 for Mississippi State. So definitely a higher uh, conversion percentage on third down. And then uh, total yards, uh, not that big a difference. Only three-yard three, three yard difference in Mississippi State's favor. Um, just three yards more than Alabama. Um, most of the other stats are pretty uh, pretty close, pretty tight. I think the biggest difference between the two teams is the penalties. Mississippi State had that curse that seemed like we had against Tennessee. They did have ten penalties uh, for 100 yards. And then they did have that one turnover. And time of possession also pretty uh, pretty close. Uh, as far as individual stats go, Will Rogers did have 30 for 60 completions, uh, 231 yards, a lot of volume from his passing game. And the receiving, the three primary receivers uh, State had, Rara Thomas, Austin Williams, and Rufus Harvey. Uh, Thomas had 73 yards on eight attempts. Williams had 46 on three attempts, and Harvey had 34 on five attempts. Uh, like I said, a second ago, total receiving yards for the team, 231 uh, yards. They definitely got a lot more people involved than just those three, but those were the three that stood out the most. Uh, turning over to rushing, Jaquavius Marks and Simeon Price led the rushing game um, with Mississippi State, 13 rush yards and 53 – or 50 – sorry, 13 rush attempts, 53 yards for Marks, and eight attempts uh, for 36 yards from Simeon Price. Like I said, not huge numbers, but they were the ones that stood out the most in the run game. Um, a big stat I want to point out that probably uh, most people noticed, uh, three out of six fourth down conversions, um, Mississippi State was uh, attempting to convert on most fourth downs that they had, um, at least within three or four yards, um, even on their own side of the ball um, or their own side of the field. And uh I think that might correlate a little bit with this next stat, which goes their kicking percentage. They only attempted one field goal, and they did miss it. 
Um, so that was definitely a part of that uh, conversion percentage. Uh, Defensive-wise, real quick, uh, Nathaniel Watson, Tyre Sweet, and Jet Johnson led their team with uh, tackles. Watson for five total tackles, one total uh, tackle for loss, and one sack. Uh, Wheat had seven total tackles, as well as Jet Johnson having the five tackles, two of those tackles being for a loss. So that covers Mississippi State stats, so I'm going to send it back over to you. All right, appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, definitely saw um... – you know, pretty close in the total categories for the Crimson Tide and State. Uh, but obviously, you know, the Crimson Tide obviously coming out on top with um, obviously more points, 30-6, uh, to six, the final score again. So that kind of leads us into our second segment. You know, the offense seemed to take care of their scoring in the first half, you know, just kind of coasted the second half. But this was a game for really the defense to really – come out and make a statement to really regroup and refocus from the prior week. And I really think that's what they wanted to come out and show, not just Alabama fans, but they wanted to show the rest of college football that, hey, we still are who we are. And uh, I think that's what they did. I mean, number one, they cut down on the penalties. I mean, 17 at Tennessee, only three total, and one of those only being on their side of the ball, and that came on the last drive of the game, and it was a pass interference call against, I believe, Malachi Moore. Um And so, obviously, cutting down on the penalties was huge, you know, not giving State any field position, you know, not giving them free yards, uh, getting off of the field. Uh, You know, that 7 of 22 on third down, you know, is a testament. And, you know, the 3 of 6 on fourth down is also good. So, very, very good at cutting down the penalties. And the other good thing that I saw is that the safeties, they didn't allow any huge plays, any explosive plays over the top. You know, they were keeping the receivers in front of them. And I know, uh, you know, personally, Cody and I were at the game. I sat in the lower level. He sat in the upper. Uh, and he could see a little bit more of, you know, the guys in the secondary guarding those guys because he has kind of, you know, the bird's eye view of everything uh, in those seats as well. So I was kind of texting him throughout the game saying, you know, how do we look on that side and everything. Even though I could see our players clearly, it's just he can see it up there. He can see the whole field. And uh, he kind of has this panic view of it. So definitely uh, was helpful with him sitting up there in the upper level as well. And then really the third thing, I really think the front seven performed well, you know, down three starters uh, as well. You know, um, Justin Aboigby, DJ Dale, and Jaheim Otis were the three starters that were out. Dale and Otis do plan to be available for the LSU game, but we did get update today from Saban on Justin that uh, he is done for the remainder of the year. Uh, only time will tell on that. Uh, he could heal, uh, but I believe he has some type of vertebrae injury in his lower neck, I believe. So, uh, you know, that's kind of a iffy injury to go through, uh, and I know he wants to be out there. He's a senior. Uh, he was a part of the uh, 2019 recruiting class, came in before the 2019 season. Um, he's obviously been a part of some really good uh, teams, obviously has a, two SEC rings, one actually a national title ring in 2020. Been a big contributor since his freshman year, so I really hope he can get on the field again. But overall, offense kind of coasted in the second half. Honestly, think that that's all we had to do, um, especially going into the off week. But the defense, at the end of the day, I really think they stepped up. Yeah, absolutely, man. Uh, definitely a redemption week to kind of get things right, clear up some of the uh, clear up some of the mistakes, fill in some of the gaps. Like you said, we were both able to see it. Um, definitely getting to see a wide angle view of the field, watching them play tight on their receivers, uh, not letting a bunch of big space off of the line, as well as later uh, deep in the deep in the field. I think that uh, they definitely stepped up. I think coaching staff stepped up a little bit. Um, I think that. It ended up playing – obviously played to their advantage. They were only uh, giving up six points right there at the very end of the game. Um, so, yeah, definitely really uh, improved from the week prior, filling in all those gaps. Um, every player looked like they were doing their role from a distance and up close. The stats went to show that. So, yeah, definitely, definitely an improvement. Definitely good to see that. Oh, yeah, for sure. And then that kind of leads into our third segment now. Um, Eli Ricks, welcome to the party officially so obviously Eli Ricks preseason All-American uh I believe he was the number one corner on a on a Kuiper's draft board um I believe Schefter had him as the number two corner um top 10 pick uh but definitely came in uh, he came in with an injury to his shoulder that he had hurt while he was at LSU obviously transferred from LSU during the offseason uh brought a lot of good things to the Tide 
And a lot of people were wondering why we didn't see him because uh, for the majority of the year, it's been Terry on Arnold and Kool-Aid at those two positions at corner. But Eli Rich getting his first start, we kind of, we kind of foresaw that he was going to start this week because he posted a clip of him from practice last week snagging a one-handed interception, and um, he said, I'm back. So, you know, surprise, surprise, the King is finally back. And I think um, a lot of fans were happy to see him. I knew I was very happy to see him when he stepped out on the field and he was going through the drills with the first team uh, and, you know, had a great game. Um, again, uh, 10 targets. One completion allowed for 10 yards, and that was on a curl route, and that was later in the game. Uh, but the four passes that he really defended, you know, he was blanket coverage right on him, batting the ball down, getting his head around, great technique. He was jamming the receivers at the line. And I'm telling you, with the way that Kool-Aid's played all year, because Kool-Aid has only given up six completions all year. He hasn't given up any touchdowns. He's only allowing like a 50.2 passer rating when they do throw his way. So Kool-Aid's been locked down. And if you really want some evidence for that, he's been locked down, go to last week against Tennessee. They did not throw to his side of the field except one time, and it was overthrown. They were not throwing to his side of the field. They they almost knew that uh, it was going to be either an automatic incompletion or it was going to be an interception or anything. And Kool-Aid technically did have an interception this past Saturday night, but uh, upon further review, it was overturned. The ball did hit the ground, but still just – the coverage of being in the position to make that type of play. But Ricks, again, just um, looked like he was having a good time. He was having fun, communicating. And I think that really went into the whole secondary as a whole uh, because Helms played well. Jordan Battle played well. Moore played well. Branch played well. Kool-Aid played well. It seems like it just permeated through the whole unit. And a lot of people are thinking, is Ricks the guy that they needed this year in the secondary to kind of get it sparked. And I think it is, you know, having a guy like that who can lock down their top receiver. And then you got a guy like Kool-Aid who's been locked down all year long, who can lock down their other top receiver. And if you got two of them and you got to go to your third option and we got guys like Brian Branch and Malachi Moore and Helms and battle when you got guys like that who can play, but if you have two really good lockdown corners, your team is going to be in a very, very, very um, good place. And it's going to help, your line and your front get a lot of coverage sacks. And as we saw, the tie got a lot of coverage sacks um, as well. But uh, I kind of want to get Cody's opinion on this because he had a little bit better view than I did, obviously, watching Eli this past Saturday. So, Cody, what did you think of Eli's performance and how do you think it's going to impact not just him but the team going forward, especially going against LSU, his former team? Yeah, dude, I think he looked comfortable, and I think the whole secondary looked a lot more comfortable. Definitely going to give some of that credit to him. I think he filled in. Um, uh, you like you said, added another layer. I think really the top top layer, the you know icing on the cake, we could say. I guess he really uh, seals up that secondary. You know, you put him back there with Kool Aid and all those guys. Man, they've been playing. Uh, at least this week, they played more stellar. Uh, I think that he is that missing piece, and I think adding him is going to really bring the whole team together as a unit. It's going to it's going to solidify that last part that needed to be worked on the most. I think, and I think moving forward seeing that as long as he can stay composed, stay comfortable and play with the intensity uh, and the aggression that he played with, of course, within reason, you know, I think he did a really good job avoiding penalties. I think moving forward in this season, as long as he can play with that same level and keep avoiding those penalties, play it right. And just continue to be a, a like that unit, that glue that brings the team together. I think that, that is something that we're going to see and it's going to bring the defense great success. Absolutely. Um, and, and just like you said, I mean, yeah, I've got to agree with you. You know, he looked comfortable. I mean, that's the that's probably the top word used there to really describe how he played. He looked comfortable. I mean, he looked like he was having fun. He looked loose. And, you know, the team looked looser this week than they did last week. You know, Saban even talked about, you know, they were they had some anxiety. They came out tight and everything. They weren't chanting when they came out of the locker room. And Saban even turned around and said, you know, what's up with that? You know, we always chant. So, you know, just getting loose, not having anxiety. And, and now I think with this performance, you know, hopefully teams are back to being scared of us again, being intimidated by us again. And we aren't intimidated by anybody. Um, but now kind of moving on to touch on recruiting, uh, obviously some big recruiting news regarding tomorrow. Uh, top cornerback prospect Cormani McClain is set to commit tomorrow. He's down to between three schools, obviously the University of Alabama, 
Florida and the University of Miami as well. Uh, some of the experts have him crystal ball to Florida. Some have him to Alabama. Uh, not, I don't think any of the experts have him going to Miami. So uh, unless you know he pulls a surprise on signing day tomorrow, or not signing day on his commitment tomorrow, um, he um, it looks like it's down in between Florida and Alabama. So it it will be an SEC battle for the top corner in the class. A very skilled corner. Uh, he's very. Um, He's got very long arms. Uh, he's very rangy. Uh, he covers a lot of ground. Uh, he's very aggressive as a corner, uh, too. And he's got a lot of speed when he gets his hands on the ball as well. So definitely uh, hoping that the Tide can snag him tomorrow as the Tide already have the number two corner in the class and Tony Mitchell uh, have some other guys as well. Caleb Downs is the number one safety. Um, we're getting a couple other guys as well. Um, so, Definitely hoping we can snag Cormani. In other news, Qua Rusaw and James Smith, the star standouts from Carver High School in Montgomery, uh, were spotted at their game Friday night wearing Alabama gloves and an Alabama towel. So they are trending towards Alabama. They're down to between Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and several others. But it looks like the um, the tug of war between the two schools is going to be Alabama and Georgia with the two trending towards Alabama. And I've heard these two are a package deal. So wherever one goes, the other one's going as well. They are set to commit on the same day as well. And probably the biggest news in recruiting this week regarding uh, any recruiting in the country, Desmond Ricks, the uh, highly touted who was going to be the number one corner in next year's class, 2024, has reclassified to 2023, making him the number two overall corner now and the number three in the ESPN, the number two on on three and the number three on 24-7 sports. Um, Obviously very high target on uh, the Crimson Tides list for next season. Uh, He is taking his official visit to Alabama in the Iron Bowl. What a great game to come to. Um, He's already been on campus some. Uh, but it looks like it can be down to between a lot of teams right now. It's between, you know, I think about five teams right now, but I think he will probably narrow that choice down to three. He hasn't set a date where he is set to sign yet or commit. So uh, we will definitely be keeping an eye on that. We will let you know firsthand when we hear anything. But definitely if we can get Desmond Ricks, I mean, we've already got one Ricks, and he's performing pretty well in that uh, position. So we can see if we can get another one um, as well. So, and – Obviously, the uh, Crimson Tide still overall stand at number one in recruiting for the 2023 cycle uh, with hopefully more recruits to come. Keon Keeley still out there. James Smith, Kwan Russell, Desmond Ricks, Cormani commits tomorrow uh, and still have a lot of other guys that we could get into. Uh, but that's for another time and place as well. The Crimson Tide still have a lot of targets out there that they still want to try and grab before the early signing period. Now moving on to segment four, kind of giving our MVPs at this point in the season feel like it's an appropriate time to talk about that uh and uh, i've sort of got my own mvp some under the radar guys some of the guys who have been emerging this year uh and if cody has anyone that he thinks is you know different than mine uh, i'll i will um, allow him to speak up but i think on the offensive mvp i kind of went back and forth in between two guys uh obviously jameer gibbs popped up with the impact that he's been able to have on the team this year as a whole uh with his speed and his acceleration but um Ultimately, I think you got to go Bryce Young, even though he didn't play uh, from really about halfway through the second quarter on against Arkansas, didn't play against Texas A&M. But just the resiliency he showed at Tennessee, 455 yards, um, you know, how he played last week, just the leader that he is. And, you know, he's still having a good season, um, statistically speaking. Um, he's taking care of the ball. He's got a great completion percentage. Um, he's almost 2,000 yards. So I definitely think the offensive MVP at this point of the year is Bryce Young. Yeah, man, I have to agree with you. Um, I definitely want to we'll, – we'll, we'll touch on him in a little bit. Jameer Gibbs uh, is playing absolutely stellar ball. Uh, but, yeah, Bryce Young overall, how, how he's been been able to be quick on his feet, uh, quick thinking, and just overall the production he's brought to the offense and been able to come through adversity, adversity definitely think it's something to be, you know, you know, respected and admired, and I definitely think you're right. I think he emerges as that offensive MVP so far. Definitely hope to keep seeing him perform at that level, as well as the other guys we have on offense performing at a high level. Definitely, and um, I mean, like he's just a once-in-a-lifetime type of guy, too. He's a generational talent, and he's definitely going to have success in the NFL, as well as he skyrocketed on Mel Kuyper and Schefter's drafts um, 
boards this week to the number one overall pick. So, uh, you know, we'll definitely see that continues through the rest of the year. So then I switched to the other side of the ball. You know, I kind of went back and forth in between. You know, you had guys like Jalen Moody. You had Toto. You had several other guys. But I really think at the end of the day, you got to go Will Anderson as a, as the MVP of that side of the ball. Um, you know, he's he's pretty much out of the point this year that he was last year. And, you know, about this time of the year is where he really started to go off last year. You know, after the loss to Tennessee, you know, just really started going off. You know, over his final seven games after the loss to Texas A&M last year, um, you know, literally 12 and a half sacks, you know, over the last seven games. And, you know, led the country in tackles for a loss with 32 and a half. I mean, just, just I mean, just absolutely just, uh, I mean, they're just a game wrecker. And, and, and uh, I just really think that, you know, overall this season, you know, with just how teams are having to prep for him, it's giving more guys opportunities uh, this year. You know, they're double-teaming, triple-teaming him, you know, trying to take him out of place, focusing in on him. But he's still getting his. He's still proving to be that just wrecker and just and just you can't block him type of guy. So I definitely think, as you know, as he's the alpha of this whole team, especially the alpha of that unit, uh, the guy who everyone looks up to in the room, I definitely think that you got to go Will Anderson on that side of the ball. Yeah, man, I'd say to me it probably came down to uh, him Toto and uh, Kool-Aid, man. Kool-Aid having 11 passes defended. Um, just overall, man, playing phenomenal. Uh, but, yeah, I think uh, Will Anderson, uh, six sacks, you know, the 36 sack yards, all that. He's playing phenomenal. But I, sheer numbers for me, I'm probably going to give Toto the my my uh, vote for MVP just because, like I said, sheer, sheer volume, man, um, total tackles. He's really putting it out there. Uh, I think 60 total tackles is what I was reading earlier, man. He's just an absolute unit, dude. Uh, I think he's playing phenomenal. Uh, but in the end, the numbers don't always the, – the statistical numbers don't always reflect exactly how they're playing. Uh, I know we've talked about some people don't get as many targets because of, you know, how locked down they're playing as well as, you know, they'll run the ball in opposite directions to avoid uh, the potential – threat of our defenders so overall as a unit playing top tier but yeah head nod definitely goes uh to kool-aid goes to toto and goes to anderson dude they're playing at a next level on defense and i look forward to seeing them uh to continue to do that oh for sure and you know they obviously have a tall task ahead of them going to lsu uh at six o'clock so night game on the bayou um you know, Alabama's played very well there, but they definitely have a tall task in stopping Jaden Daniels in that offense as well. So now some under-the-radar players, just real quick, um, offense and uh, defense as well. Uh, Kobe Prentice is mine on offense, a true freshman wide receiver. Um, just, you know, right up the road for me here in Calera. Um, saw this guy's high school film and just thought, wow, he's got a lot of speed. Uh, you know, maybe undersized is the typical wide receiver, but, you know, you can be undersized as a wide receiver, and everybody's like, oh, you know, he's small, you know, he'll be easy. But, you know, if a guy's fast, well, you got to catch him first. So, um, obviously, if you can't catch him, it doesn't matter how strong you are, how good you can tackle, how good you can cover. If you can't cover him because he's too fast, then, you know, he's got you beat. Um, so, but I think Kobe Prentice, well, you know, he started every game this year. He's a true freshman, you know, first true freshman wide receiver to start um, since, um, since Calvin Ridley did in 2015. And, uh, you know, we've definitely seen a lot of guys, um, you know, get opportunities uh, in a long line of great wide receivers at Alabama. You know, Julio Jones, true freshman started. Amari Cooper, true freshman started. Calvin Ridley, true freshman started. Uh, you know, Jerry Judy did get playing time as true freshman year, but really kind of came on a sophomore and junior year, as well as Henry Ruggs and Devontae Smith. You know, several guys uh, got uh, playing time uh, there early on. But, you know, Kobe Prince to come in and start just a really, 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 really good um, player, really good hands think you'll see him used a lot more and definitely going to be a good guy for the future. Then switching to the other side of the ball, another true freshman, Jaheim Otis, uh, just a mountain of a man, you know, to start with, you know, came in, you know, six foot six, you know, over 400 pounds. You know, the coaches told him if he's going to be an effective player on this team, if he's going to be able to play, you know, meaningful snaps and become, you know, a two, three, four, five down type of guy, not just one and come out 
he's going to have to drop weight. And, you know, dropped all the way down. I believe his official weight was 406 when he came in. And I believe right now he is down to like 348, 349. So that's amazing. His stomach is flat now. His arms are huge. And just the sheer wrecking this guy can do once the ball is snapped. He's – Utah State game, four guys tried – I mean, four. Four offensive linemen who probably weigh over 300 pounds apiece. So you're looking at 1,200 pounds trying to stop one man, and he pancaked one of them, shucked one off, and then broke through the other two and still made the tackle in the backfield. That's just absolutely – I mean, it blows my mind. It's it's one of those you have to see it to actually believe it. And, you know, I did see it, and, and, and uh, I saw it in person and on TV. So – it's just amazing what he's been able to do. And the fact that he's a freshman and even his teammates are saying he doesn't play like a freshman. He doesn't think like a freshman. And the fact that he's 18 years old and he can break me over his knee is, 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 is just something that I just think about almost every day. It's like he's 18 and I'm 25 and he's literally – he looks like he could eat me. So, um, But honestly, I just want to see who you think the under-the-radar players are. Yeah, man, I got to agree with you on both guys, dude. Kobe Prentice, um, you know, 5'10", about 170. Uh, young guy, small guy, but I'll tell you what, that has not stopped people in the past, especially at his position. I mean, you look at people, uh, Devontae Smith is definitely not your tallest, definitely not your biggest guy with the most weight on him, but it's about the skill, it's about the persistence and that that ability to make plays happen and and, and – playing your role and uh we've so we saw him have success at alabama we're seeing him have success in the nfl now um but yeah i think kobe prentice has that potential and i think the thing to touch on that you said you mentioned a couple times both these guys are freshmen um whether otis or prentice they're both freshmen they got so much room to improve so much room for growth and years for that to happen and they're already playing at this level now it just goes to show what they can perform uh what they can do later on and then with otis man he just the ability to adapt when the team demands you to adapt and you're able, you're able to do that and not only do it, but be even better after you do it. I think like you said, with the weight, with the weight drop, man, and going from a, just a monster to a lean monster now is just only going to improve his ability to play his position and play it well. So I think moving forward, both these guys are guys to continue to watch and see them improve for years to come. And I can't wait to see it. Oh, yes, that's right. I mean, for sure. I mean, like, you definitely got to think about those guys. You, you, you know, at least we got them for two more years unless they decide to go early. But, you know, hopefully for three. We uh, hope they stay for all four. Uh, but now kind of the last ones of the MVPs this season, the dark horse to potentially be the MVP on the side of the ball. And honestly, like I said, it was down to between Bryce and Jameer Gibbs, and I think Jameer Gibbs is kind of that guy who can potentially be the MVP of the offense, not taking anything away from Bryce, but – Jameer Gibbs would just as – and as, Cody, you touched on it, you know, I believe in last week's podcast, you touched on not just his speed, but it's the acceleration. And, and see, a lot of people don't know that speed and acceleration are two very separate things. Speed, anybody can have speed. Anybody can, you know, run fast. But it's the acceleration burst that you have, that little quick just jolt that you have in between tackles or on the sideline or to get away from a defender. And he's got that. I mean, it looks like sometimes he's jogging when it looks like he's running fast and then boom, it just turns on the turbo and you're like, wow, where'd that come from? And I mean, Gibbs is, is a special player. I knew he was going to be special when I saw his transfer film, when he was at Georgia tech. Um, And just with what he was able to do in space and, you know, what he's been able to do in the receiving side of things. I mean, he's got over 300 yards receiving this year. I mean, over 600 yards rushing. I mean, almost 1,000 all-purpose yards already. Um, absolutely great on that side. And then on the other side of the ball, even though he's only started one game, I think if he continues playing well, I really think Eli Ricks can potentially be your MVP on that side of the ball because, like I said, kind of jolted that that whole unit. Um, the guys around him seem to play more efficiently, more comfortably. and you know, you kind of saw, you know, what it could be to come, you know, like if you have two lockdown corners, like I said, it's going to, you know, create 
easier opportunities for your interior guys. It's going to help you get a lot of coverage sacks. It's just going to help you be a total unit. And I think the corners kind of go underappreciated sometimes. That they help that front get some sacks sometimes. Not taking anything away from the skill of the front, but I definitely think that uh, you need to give props to the corner guys for guarding those guys and obviously forcing the quarterback to try to find somebody who's open or, you know, he's going to have to choose real quick or, you know, Anderson or Turner or Otis or Young or anybody is going to be on him within seconds because I think we have a very talented front, which, by the way, leads um, the SEC this year, and I believe is either one or two in the country in sacks this season with 27 already. So definitely um, very happy to see our front getting sacks again. So definitely want to see who kind of your guy is for this, uh, who, who has the potential to become the MVP, but is kind of working his way up. Yeah, I think Jameer Gibbs has definitely uh, performed at a high level all season. Uh, I mean, this season's stats, 98 attempts, 672 yards, six touchdowns, averaging uh, just below seven yards per attempt. Man, you can't argue with the numbers when it comes to him. His acceleration out of the hole, when he finds the gap, he shoots through it and he is gone. He reminds me a lot of Trent Richardson. Um, mm-hmm. Is he is a, he's continuing to improve, and I think that uh, throughout the season he could definitely emerge as an MVP candidate. As far as Eli Ricks goes, uh, we got we definitely got to see more. But if if this last game was any kind of indication of what we can see in the future, he's definitely going to be one of our powerhouse defenders. And I think, like we said earlier uh, in this episode, man, I think he's going to be the glue that kind of brings that secondary together. And I definitely look forward to seeing that as well. Definitely for sure. So now um, we're going to move on to some questions that we got from y'all personally on our Instagram page. We submitted a poll uh, last night and uh, you guys dropped some questions for us. So if we get to your question, um, we also got a lot of duplicate questions. So uh, a lot of these are um, ones that I saw once, twice. Some of them I saw three or four times, actually. Uh, so um, we'll try to answer these, but we kind of went out and picked uh, four apiece. Uh, so um, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Cody, do you want to answer the first one or do you want me to answer the first one? I'll go ahead and ask you, and then we'll just kind of go back and forth. Sound good? Oh, well, that's fine with me. So fire away with your first question. All right, man. Uh, so for you, uh, do you think that Alabama will have more or less players transfer out than last year? So honestly, I, you know, we had – over 21 players, you know, transfer out last year. You know, Drew Sanders was among them, Ajay Hall, Jaleel Pillingsley, um, you know, s- several other guys transfer out. Um, you know, that's something that every team is going to go through every year. You know, you're going to have guys that have been there for two, three years, you know, haven't cracked the starting lineup. You know, we're good coming out of high school just because they got so much talent ahead of them. And I don't necessarily blame them. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, like they've worked hard and, you know, they really want to crack the starting lineup, but they just can't, um, you know, they go elsewhere. But honestly, I think this year, um, I think with what you're going to have of the exodus off of the defense, um, I definitely think that, you know, you won't see a lot of guys on that side of the ball transfer. Um, even offensively speaking, I don't necessarily think you'll see a lot of guys transfer either because, you know, we lose three offensive linemen. Uh, no, I'm sorry, two offensive linemen. Um, and, you know, we won't really lose any wide receivers. So, you know, you might see a couple transfers lower down the totem pole in the wide receiver room. Um, but because, you know, Kobe Prentice is a freshman, Isaiah Bond's a freshman, Shas Preston, freshman, Kendrick Law, freshman, Jermaine Burton, a junior, don't think he's going to go. Tyler Harrell hasn't played that much this year. He's a junior, think he'll come back. Uh, you know, Ja'Cory Brooks is a sophomore. JoJo Earl is a sophomore. So, you got a lot of young guys in that group. And, you know, Treshawn Holding's only a redshirt junior, so, you know, he stays. So, the, all the receivers are going to be back next year as well. You know, we're losing – at the most, you know, I think Gibbs will go. Uh, Jace is kind of up in the air, but, you know, Roydell's back next year. And, you know, you got two guys coming in. So, definitely, I don't think you'll see as many as you did last year, but I definitely think you'll see some. I mean, it would be foolish to say that we won't see any. Um, but I definitely think you'll see exceptionally less than you did a year ago. Yeah, man, I, I agree with you. Uh, I definitely see it. Um, maybe maybe some transfers in might be something we might see too. Exactly. Yeah, Saban touched on that a little bit. 
when this uh when all this transfer started happening he's like i don't know if this is a good thing for everybody else so i think that might be something we see a little bit too but exactly if you leave with your question and i'll give you a good answer all righty so your question for you sir is do you think it would be more efficient if our offensive coordinator bill o'brien was on the field kind of like sark and lane kiffin were instead of in the press box you know, I don't know if it would have a a uh, an impact when it came to his ability to play call. Because um, really, from if one thing I've seen from being at the games, man, you can see from high up, you can see from the box, you can see the way – you can see the errors in your defense, and it should be a coaching adjustment you could make no matter where you're at. You should be able to see it. So I think the actual ability to correct those wrongs uh, it doesn't have anything to do with him being on or off the field. I think that has to do with him, the quality of a offensive coordinator he is. Now, I'm not going to take too many shots at the man. I do think that being on the field with Nick Saban and having him yelling in your ear can have a bit of an impact on you uh, as a human. I don't know as a coach. Uh, obviously, I've never been in that situation, but I don't know if it would make a huge difference, but it would be something to, uh, you know, to see maybe – try and see if it is if it does you know incentivize him to uh up the scheme and you know play more efficiently kind of like we did this last week oh for sure i have to agree with you on that Uh, i definitely think you could see some positive things come out um if he was on the sidelines as well because i definitely think that's what you hire offensive analysts and other guys for up in the press box to be up there so definitely think they might benefit a little bit more of him you know, having the on-the-field role. But, uh, you know, again, I have to agree with you on that side of the um, things of him being able to see stuff in the press box up there. So, Yeah, man. Well, I'm going to go ahead and bridge into this next question for you. Um, who do you think can be wide receiver one for Bryce Young? Well, no, that's what kind of what we've been searching for all season. You know, we've been searching for, you know, is it going to be Jermaine Burton? Is it going to be Corey Brooks? You know, was it going to be Tyler Harrell? Um, and, you know, start of the season, you know, Harold being hurt, Corey Brooks being hurt, you know, Jermaine Burton, Trayshawn Holden kind of took over. And, you know, we saw those guys. But no receivers have been really able to separate themselves from the pack this year yet. And I think that's hopefully about to change because, you know, we saw Tyler Harrell get in at the end of the game uh, this past game. And, you know, the crowd cheered so loud for him. And, you know, Saban was even talking about this week that they're developing even more packages and plays uh, to put him in on. So hopefully down the stretch you're going to see um, – Harold be more involved. So I want to say Harold can emerge as wide receiver one for him, especially going into this last stretch of the season. And as hopefully as we push towards the SEC title into the college football playoff. Um, but also I think, you know, you got to go with who, you know, and, you know, I definitely think he's got a good relationship with Jermaine Burton. I definitely think he's got good chemistry with um, Treshawn holding, but a guy who I've been really kind of seeing emerge the last couple of weeks too especially since really the Vanderbilt game and really that game in particular, Ja'Cory Brooks, you know, Ja'Cory Brooks had kind of the season-saving moment last year uh, against Auburn, you know, catching one of the biggest passes of his life to tie the game, um, and, you know, really played well down the stretch last season, and he's playing pretty well this year. Um, hopefully we'll see him target more. So I'm going to say, you know, it could have the potential to be – I'm going to have to go with either Tyler Harrell or Ja'Cory Brooks. Yeah, man. Uh, I think that uh, it could – it honestly could be any of those guys you've listed. I'm going to go ahead and kind of spin a little bit of this question off. I don't necessarily think you have to establish a one-guy kind of a thing on this situation. I get it. Uh, who's going to stand out? Who's going to separate themselves? And who's going to fill that number one option role? But I think having that versatility, having that uh, – those different avenues and those different uh, – opportunities with those different guys only adds another layer to our offense makes us impenetrable makes us able to attack from so many different angles to the point where the defense can't possibly keep up and I think that is something that Alabama can do with the level of talent and the quantity of talent that they have in those positions so yeah I think you're right it could be any of those guys but I think it can be all of those guys simultaneously so that's what I hope to see exactly so now I'll bridge into the second question for you how do you think the offensive line has played so far, in your opinion? Overall, it just totally, like, uh, everything considered, I think they've played relatively well. Um, I think that 
um, through the through the adversity of Bryce going down for a game and a half, I think it's hard to adapt, especially when you have a uh, a Jalen Milrow who is without a doubt talented, but at the same time, definitely um, because of the lack of playing time, there there was a composure difference between him and Bryce. Um, I think when they're playing at a high level, they're playing at a high level all together as a unit. When they are uh, when they when they're thrown a curveball, I think sometimes it can get a little scattered. But having said that, I think overall Bryce being a mobile quarterback and even a little bit of Milrow him being a mobile quarterback, their ability to create plays in in tough situations, I think the offensive line can not only not only can contribute to that, but can also have to adapt to that. And I think all things considered, I think they've done a relatively good job of protecting the quarterback as well as. Uh, when he gets mobile, when he gets in a little bit of a scurry, then being able to adapt, cover, and pick up different blocks. Um, at least enough time for him to exhaust all his options. And then, of course, then that responsibility falls on Bryce to either get rid of the ball, run the ball, or, you know, find his open man. But, like I said, their ability to adapt, I think, has been good. Um, definitely room for improvement, but that's always um, penalty-wise adjusting a little bit. Um, not having as many penalties uh, this last week, I think that's moving forward. That's something to uh, continue to see from them as far as uh, just keeping keeping the hands where you need them and picking up those blocks and making sure that our guys are protected in the backfield and continue to do what they're doing. Absolutely. I think they played well as a unit. I think, obviously, Seth Picklaughlin coming in at center, I think he needs to be starting going forward. Uh, it seems like the run game is more consistent when he starts. Uh, but, yeah, definitely got to say, um, offensive line playing very, very well. Yeah, man. Well, I'll go ahead. Um, question number three for you. Uh, when will we see Aaron Anderson? So, obviously, Aaron Anderson, high, highly touted five-star wide receiver uh, coming out of a bite, Louisiana, uh, originally committed to LSU. Um, and, you know, came to the Alabama-LSU game last year, decommitted from LSU on Sunday, committed to Alabama on Monday. Uh, so, Kind of a big weekend for him. Uh, again, speed. Just a guy that you look at speed. Undersized for a wide receiver, but he's he's stocky. Uh, and he's just he's got game changing speed. He's shifty. Um, he can make you miss uh, for sure. So um, obviously he's been hurt a little bit this year. He's been uh, practicing more. Uh, he's been warming up. Just haven't got to see him. But honestly, I think. Nothing would be better than to see him against LSU, him and Tyler Harrell both, but really Aaron Anderson against the team that he grew up in the backyard of, was originally was originally actually committed to go to, and let that just be his coming out party. Like, well, let that just be his game and uh, let him really put his stamp on college football and say, you know, welcome to college football, Aaron Anderson against LSU. So I think you might see him here in the next couple of weeks, definitely as we go down the stretch. So, Hopefully soon. Hopefully soon is my guess. Yeah, dude. As good a time as any going in uh, to LSU at LSU. I, hopefully that's when we'll see it. It'll definitely be uh, something to look forward to. For sure. And I'm going to go to your third question for you, sir. Uh, so how do you think Bryce Young compares to the quarterbacks in recent years at Alabama, such as Tua Tungvaloa, Matt Jones, Jalen Hurts? And I guess you could even go back to like a Blake Sims type deal. Yeah, I think uh, – I don't think any player can be fully defined without looking at who he has around him, both offensive line, running back, wide receiver crew, offensive coordinator. I think there's a huge correlation between it all. I think those can uh, exponentially improve what you look like as well as damage your ability to perform. I definitely see the most similarities between him and Jalen Hurts. There is a very similar style in certain aspects of their game, mobility-wise and uh, ability to let plays create themselves when they seemingly don't create themselves with the actual drawn-up playbook call. So I think that is a similarity I see. I do think that if he continues to improve at the rate he has and he continues to rem- – remain calm and keep his composure i genuinely believe and this is coming from a philadelphia eagles fan who is absolutely astonished and uh ecstatic about what jalen hurts has done i do think bryce young has the potential to be the greatest quarterback 
that Alabama has had in the Nick Saban era. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Uh, Bryce is special. Um, and just the maturity standpoint, you know, he sat back for a year, sat behind Mac Jones, waited his turn. He didn't complain. Uh, you know, he didn't get greedy, didn't have an attitude problem. And, you know, you know, this goes without saying, but like, a lot of people don't know what he, I mean, Alabama fans do, but a lot of people don't realize what he does before every game. He goes to the end zone and he prays because he knows where his talent comes from. He knows where the ability comes from. And, and that's the most important thing is that, you know, you've got a guy like that who, you know, knows who he's playing for. He's playing for something greater than himself. And, you know, just an exceptional guy and and just calm, collected. He never changes. His attitude on the field never changes. And that's what impressed me about him. So, definitely, yes, I definitely think when it's all said and done, I think he will probably be one of the greatest to ever put on a jersey at quarterback for not just Nick Saban, but the Alabama Crimson Tide in general. Yeah, man, I agree. Uh, yeah, well, I'll go ahead uh hit you with the last – the fourth question, the last question for you, my guy. Um who do you think starts at cornerback now with Ricks playing like he did? Honestly, this is a short answer. Kool-Aid and Ricks. That's that's, that's it. Like, um, Kool-Aid and Ricks are your starters going forward. Like, that's pretty much it in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah, I think that Ricks definitely solidified uh, his ability to play at that level, and Kool-Aid has been doing that all season. So, yeah, I agree with you. All right. Now rolling into your last question submitted to us by our fans. Again, appreciate you guys so much. Um, what do you think Alabama has to do this year to get another national championship ring? I think from at this point, um, one, learn from the mistakes that they have made. Um, I think Absolutely. that we saw that in this last game against State. I think that the defense – definitely adapted um, to some of the some of the mistakes they were making especially in that secondary uh, a lot of that due to Ricks uh, and just all the guys playing at a higher level definitely adapting to that so defense continue to adapt um, avoid penalties for the love that is what killed us and that is what always seems to be a deal breaker with us and it always comes down to a uh, a high penalty game always seems to be where we struggle the most, which is, you know, makes sense. So avoid penalties. I know these are all kind of generic answers, but uh, consistency uh, as far as execution on offense, um, being consistent, being able to maintain uh, the rushing game as well as the passing game. I know this last game we didn't see as much rushing. Um, When you've got a threat like Gibbs and McClellan, you have to be able to utilize that. So I think moving forward, being able to create that perfect ratio um, of passing and rushing. And then I think the main thing uh, for me and the last thing I'll say is protect Bryce Young like he's the art, bro. Like he I, he is the one on off. He is him. <laughs> he's the guy on offense that is going to carry us to this. Um, with him healthy and with him performing at a high level, with all the weapons he has, both receiving and rushing, I think it's – if the defense can keep up and we can keep him healthy, I think it is a straight path to maybe a little revenge later in the season. We'll see um, on Tennessee. We'll see. But I think it carries us all the way to the end if we can keep playing and keep him healthy and keep the defense improving. And uh, I think I think it'll get us there. For sure. For sure. And in the closing remarks, um, just uh, obviously Alabama is off this week and they travel to LSU next week and then to Ole Miss. So uh, a very tough uh, two-game stretch to start the month of November uh, for the Crimson Tide. But honestly, the bye week came at a good time, um, you know, and there's no more talented team built to weather the storm uh, of this than the uh, Crimson Tide. But one thing I want to touch on that is not related to Alabama football but still related to college football is something that I just feel needs to be said. Um the Texas A&M situation, for those of you that have not heard, uh, Texas A&M is absolutely imploding right now. Um, this past weekend, not only did they lose on the road to South Carolina and drop their third game straight to drop to three and four on the year and below 500 for the first time under Jimbo Fisher, five Aggie players from the 2020 
two recruiting cycle last season have been suspended indefinitely off of the team in South Carolina's locker room. And I've also heard reports that two other players jumped Jimbo Fisher's son in the parking lot after the game and that the locker room in general after the game was not a pretty one. Jimbo was crying, yelling, there was screaming. There's a lot of guys. And I've heard that a running back has been asked not to return to the team. On top of that, three of their offensive linemen are done for the year with season-ending injuries. Another wide receiver says he is transferring at the end of the year because, and I quote, my NIL checks are not coming through as promised. And there are several more Aggie players who are contemplating transferring. And keep in mind, all of these guys are from the 2022 class that A&M, and yes, I'll say it, illegally bought last season with promised NIL deals, promised money from the boosters, even though you're allowed it's the ethic and the principle behind it and the fact that Jimbo Fisher has called Saban what he did and called out Saban and denied it, denied it, denied it. Um, he's reaping what he's sowing now, and he's three and four. It's imploding. Uh, they can't buy the guy out because it's an $85 million buyout that they're going to have to pay him. So, honestly, this may be a hot take. And, Cody, I want to see what you think about this. I honestly think you're fixing to see the Texas A&M board, the boosters, some of those higher-up people dig up some past dirt or some scandals on Jimbo Fisher to try to almost force him out of Texas A&M. Yeah, I think that the heat's been on him already without all of this going on. And if if history repeats itself, which it always seems to, um, yeah, dude, it's not going to stop with a slap on the wrist. It's going to be a deep internal kind of a thing and an investigative kind of thing. And I think it's probably going to lead to him um, saying goodbye. And uh, maybe even, maybe that's for the good of the team. We'll just say, I'm interested to see how it all pans out. Yeah. And they definitely have a uh, tall task, even though it's at Kyle field this Saturday night, Ole Miss comes into town and it seems like a little bad blood between him and Lane Kiffin. Uh, for those of y'all who don't know, the defensive coordinator for Ole Miss last year, DJ uh, Zirkin, is now a defensive coordinator at Texas A&M. And Lane Kiffin said in his press conference today, yes, we tried to keep him, but again, we were outbid in terms of in terms of cash and pay to Texas A&M. And he said there seems to be a lot of that going around the program. So. Kiffin with a subtle shot at uh, the NIL deals for some of these players. But it just goes to show you that Nick Saban was right. And he's never really wrong on these things. So overall, uh, um, you know, we're going to see what happens there. But it's been a great podcast. Um, Obviously, uh, (laughs) kind of odd this week, Alabama not playing. But um, we will be back with you next week. And pretty much next week, we're going to be able to talk about Alabama LSU game pretty much the entire time we don't have a game to go over uh we'll be able to take more fan questions but we're really going to dive deep into Alabama and LSU um how their seasons have gone some of the impact players in this game and kind of give you a little overview of what's going to be going down next Saturday night in Death Valley so once again Cody thanks for uh coming on here yet again um always good to have you as a co-host uh Y'all continue to look for this on Spotify and iHeartRadio, Amazon, and Apple Podcasts. Uh, Continue to follow us on Instagram as well. 13,000 followers still. We appreciate y'all every single day. Give us stuff that y'all want to see, posts that y'all want to see, questions y'all want us to answer, any suggestions y'all have, we're open to them. Uh, We appreciate you guys, and we will see y'all next week. Roll Tide. Roll Tide. Thank you.